Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Ephesians. Grab your journal, grab a, a pen, pad, whatever you're going to write with, and I want to dive into this teaching and conversation with you today. Philip Yancey is one of my favorite writers. I don't know if you've read Philip Yancey, but I got introduced to Yancey uh, shortly after I came to faith in Christ. His book, Disappointment with God, impacted me greatly. Where is God when it hurts? He speaks into the space of pain and suffering and turmoil about experiencing the goodness of God in the midst of, of, of chaos. He wrote a book shortly after Sandy Hook uh, took place. He wrote another uh, book called The Jesus I Never Knew. Incredible read. But my favorite book by Philip Yancey is a book that he titled, What's So Amazing About Grace? What's So Amazing About Grace? And he begins that book, if you will, with a story. It's a story of heartbreak, and it's a story that a friend of his shared with him. Uh, this friend worked with the homeless, drug-infested prostitutes uh, in Chicago, and his friend shared this story with Yancey, and this is how he kind of starts that book, if you will. His friend said to him, a prostitute came to me, wretched, homeless, sick, and unable to buy food for her two-year-old daughter. Through sobs and tears, she told me that she had been renting out her daughter, two years old, to men interested in kinky sex. She said she made more money renting out her daughter in an hour than she could earn on her own in one night. And then she said this, I have to do it to support my drug habit. He said, I could hardly bear hearing the story. It made me liable. I'm responsible to report cases of child abuse like this. He said, I looked at this lady and then asked her a question. He said, I looked at her and said, have you ever considered going to church for help? He says, I will never forget the look of shock that crossed her face. She said, church? Why would I ever go there? I already feel terrible about myself. They will only make me feel worse. I was reading the story again because of the concept and the topic of grace. Now, this is a heartbreaking story. It's crippling. It's, it's dark. It's evil. It's desperate. It's confusion. All these kind of things. But it, it calls me to ask this question. It calls me to ponder this question. What has the church really become? Is it a social gathering just to entertain people? Because people like this prostitute ran to Jesus. When you look at Luke chapter 15, you'll see that Jesus is confronting, again, the hypocrisy and hatred of the Pharisees and others. And Luke 15, when he tells the story about the prodigal son and the lost sheep and the lost coin, it all hinges on verse 1 when he says that Jesus was hanging out with notorious sinners, people that were despicable. And it got me thinking, what has the church really become? Because we're supposed to be followers of Christ and reflectors of Christ, right? And Jesus even made this statement, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, it's those who are sick. And it was something about those that were sick, those that were very sinful, those that were down and out that they 
found themselves heading toward Christ. And I want to build on this today because Christians today, and as sad as it is, have a reputation of being graceless, not graceful. And it got me thinking, and I would ask you to ponder this. How do lost people and hurting people and confused people view the church? How do lost people view Christ? What do they really think about when they think about the so-called gospel? Mark Twain said this. Mark Twain said, he put a dog and a cat in a cage together as an experiment to see if they could get along. And they did. He said he then put in a pig and a goat with the dog and the cat to see if they could get along. And after a short period of time, they did. He said he then put in a Baptist, Presbyterian, and Catholic with the dog, cat, pig, and goat. And soon there was no one left living. It's not funny, really, when we think about the heartache and the heartbreak around us. But the truth is, there's so much divisiveness and, and hate, and there's such a lack of grace. And I'm not saying tolerance, because I believe God has called us to be 100% grace and 100% truth. But most Christians really do struggle to understand, receive, and to walk out this unconditional grace of God. But even more than that, we really struggle with extending that grace and forgiveness and love to others. And we have to stop and ask the question, am I more grace-filled or am I really more grace-less? Where am I at in this? Because as we get into the text today, it is absolutely crucial. And here's what I know. Graceless people are exhausting to be around. I've shared with our staff over the last months as we've gone into this, this quarantine piece of time and, and then the different phases opening up, et cetera. And I've shared with our staff, guys, it is so much easier to deal with people who are fragile than it is to deal with people who are hostile. Hostile people want to fight. They want to be right. But graceless people are so exhausting to be around. And so I would encourage you to really step back. And if you're watching online today, I would invite you, please, receive the grace of God personally. And as you receive the grace of God, then extend that grace to other people. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 7, the entire uh, emphasis and the main point or the central idea when you read 1 through 7 is this. By grace, you have been saved. Verses 8 and 9, the main idea and the central thought is, by grace, you've been saved. And so the entire passage declares that salvation in Christ is by grace. I want to break grace down for you. But as we look back at those first three verses here in chapter 2, 1 through 3, it basically says, do you... Do you not remember that you were dead in your sins and your trespasses? You were clueless, you were helpless, you had no direction, and the world, Satan, and your flesh drove your narrative. And then he transitions in verse 4, but God, two of the most 
powerful words in the entire Bible. But God, but God being rich in mercy, God stepped in, God intervened. And if he had not, we would still be on our way to hell, living a life of destruction. But God is so rich in mercy. He saved us, he loved us, he wooed us, he pursued us. And then he goes on to say in verses 5 and 6, because of what God has done in his great mercy, he made you alive with Christ. You're alive now. You're a new creation in Christ. Yes. He has raised you up and seated you with Christ. He's given you new life. God is for you. God is wanting to see you flourish. It's so powerful. Then that's where we pick up 8, 9, and 10. For by grace... By grace, you've been saved. It's not of yourselves. By grace, you've been saved through faith. You didn't do anything to earn it, anything to merit it. It is a gift of God. It's not a result of works. No man can boast about this great salvation that's been extended by grace. And then he goes on to say, we are now his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Hey, do yourself a favor. Meditate over the next week and memorize this incredible passage. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It was one of the first passages I memorized. And, and God used this so greatly in my life. I had, I had the opportunity to be around people that really, I believe, got what the gospel of grace was all about. And I got turned on to reading Grace Awakening by Swindoll and what's so amazing about grace by Yancey. And I started reading stuff from Jeff Van Vonderen about uh, the, the subtle power of spiritual abuse and why grace in, in place in certain families was so crucial. And I'm like, I, I would encourage you to just get, just get saturated, if you will, with this concept of grace. I've heard it defined in a very simple acrostic. If you want to write it down, is grace, G-R-A-C-E, is God's riches at Christ's expense. And I'm like, and that's a very simple way to say it. I've heard people use that definition. But grace in its purest definition is getting something good that you don't deserve. Like, what is grace? I, I just got something good that I don't deserve. Grace is the love of God shown to those it's the peace of Christ given to those who are helpless. It's the unmerited favor of God being extended to us. Grace. Grace is love that cares. It's grace is love that cares. It's willing to stoop. It's willing to rescue. It's, it's willing to step into the pain with other people. When you think of grace... God stepped into our mess, into our damage, into our destruction with us. He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God. Grace. Rick, Rick this is one of the most powerful concepts that we'll ever get our minds wrapped around in Scripture. How'd you get saved? By grace. Who met you in your sin? God did in his grace. Who stooped down, man, and picked you up out of the muck and the mire? God did by his grace. Who rescued you from the wrath that you deserve? God did in his grace. Grace is the voice that calls us to change and then gives us the power to do so. 
I was like, Kim, that is so powerful for me to contemplate. Grace is a voice that calls me to change, and then it gives me the power to do it. Grace is what makes relationships flourish. And I can promise you where there's gracelessness being manifested, it causes relationships to be destroyed. Are you graceful or graceless? Bill Wilson is the co-founder of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. Bill Wilson believed that confession of sin opened the door to experience God's grace. I see what happens in our recovery meetings here at the cross. And, and, and there's so much power in confession and acknowledging and owning where you're at. But Wilson said, hey, when you're willing to confess sin specifically, it opens the door, Ian, you know it, to experience God's grace. One alcoholic said this, I have to publicly declare I am an alcoholic. He goes, it's a statement of failure, helplessness, and surrender. He said, you take a room of 12 people in which all admit helplessness and failure, and he said, it's pretty easy to see how God presents himself in that group. It's pretty easy to see how God will present himself to such a group that says, I'm helpless, I'm weak, I can't do it, I can't make it, I, I don't have the answers. And it's amazing, Tommy, how God's grace just kind of settles in on that space. Because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There is a saying in AA, and I love this saying. But the saying is, religion is for people who believe in hell. But spirituality is for people who have been there. And I read that, and I was like, that is such a powerful statement. Religion is for people who believe in hell, but spirituality is for people who have been there. And there's a lot of churches that believe in hell. But my prayer is that the cross Loganville will be for those people that have been there. It will be a place where repentance and restoration can happen because the brokenhearted will find a place to be restored because they believe that there is love and grace. We believe that all people struggle. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, we all struggle. We all have pain in our lives. There's people sitting in here today that are walking through pain, walking through heartache. My buddy Dennis is here today. We did a memorial for his lovely, beautiful wife, Darnell, that passed away earlier this week, 53 years of marriage. I mean, that's heartache right now that my brother is going through. And this room has got so much heartache in it. And reality is, we want to be a place where those who are heartbroken, who, who are just knocked down, who are feeling down and out, we, we want to be a place where others will really believe, in that your story can be transformed. We don't believe that condemning and coming down harsh on people that are buried and mired in sin is a way to see restoration. We believe that only the grace of the gospel can restore and transform, uh, transform a person's life. And so I invite you to consider, where are you at? I mean, we've been called by God to love the person and yet hate sin, but we've never been called by God to hate the person and to be mean and cruel to people. Back to 2.8, by grace you have been saved. By grace, another way to say it is you've been saved by grace. 
The only thing that saved you was God's grace. By his grace, he initiates salvation, and by his grace, he keeps the believer secure against all of the attack that the enemy would bring our way. How are you saved? By grace. How do you walk out this walk? By grace. Salvation from start to finish is by grace. How is it received? By grace. Through faith. It's a gift. Can you earn it? No. Can you work for it? No. Can you become good enough for God? No. There's so many people I've talked to over the years that they believe, hey, man, I'm going to clean my life up. I'm going to quit raising hell. I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to quit partying. And then I'm going to go to church and get right with God. You don't have to take a bath in order to come to God. You can't clean yourself up. You come to him a mess and allow the blood of Christ to cleanse you. I mean, so many people think, man, I got to clean it up before I can go there. And it's like, no, you just come to the cross and allow Christ to clean you up. We can't do it on our own. How'd you get saved, Tim? By grace through faith. How do you stay saved? By grace through faith. Were you trying to live a perfect life when you got saved? No, no, it was by grace through faith. Are you trying to be perfect now? No, no, I'm walking it out by grace through faith. We're told in Scripture, just as you receive Christ Jesus, walk in him. And if we could really get this, everything in life is a grace gift from God. The very breath that I'm breathing is a gift. The fact that I can see is a gift. The fact that I can hear is a gift. Every good thing and perfect thing that we have is from God. Oxygen, water, it doesn't matter What did you do to earn it? Nothing. It's a gift from God. God teaches us by grace. He forgives us by grace. He guides us by grace. He leads us by grace. He uses us by grace. He gives us gifts and abilities and talents by grace. That's the reason. That's the reason. Romans 12, 3. He says, I say to everyone among you, Not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment because God has allotted to each member of the body a certain measure of faith. You can't even brag about the amount of faith you have because it is a grace gift from God. We're just to act on it and we're to apply it and we're to walk in it. And guys, I'm telling you, this one concept right here is the key It's the key to walking in freedom, Brandy. It is the key to experiencing abundant life. We would say Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It's all based on God's grace. Who initiates it? God. Who activates it? God. Tim, how did you get saved? Because God being rich in mercy, he just poured out his grace on me. And reality is, the greatest courageous move that we can make is to just jump and and launch and apply ourselves into the mercy of God's, uh, into the arms of God's mercy and grace and go, God, I got to have you. I can't make it on my own. Here's four simple key thoughts to ponder. One, salvation by grace is received through faith. It's received through faith. By grace, you've been saved through faith faith. It must be received individually. You can't live on borrowed convictions and hand-me-downs. It can't be someone else's faith. A simple definition of faith is believing what God has said he will do. 
Hebrews 11, about faith. It's the whole chapter is on faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By faith, men of old gained approval with God. We walk by faith and not by sight. What is faith? It's believing, God, what you said you will do, I believe that you're going to do it. Similar words would be belief and trust. And, and God is going, I just want you to I want you to have faith in me. I want you to believe me. As many as believed in him, as many as received him. Similar words, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Similar words, faith. It it is all about really believing God. God says, if you believe in Jesus, he goes, I'll give you eternal life. And that is God's promise. It is an absolute free offer It's a free gift that God gives to us. By faith, I'm I'm willing to give this to you. I like what Revelation 22, 17 says. Let anyone who is thirsty come. I would circle the word anyone. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. Christ died for the sins of the world, but his sacrifice must be received personally. And that's what he's saying. God is saying, I have offered the water of my grace freely to anyone who is willing to drink. Man, I'm an anyone, aren't you? How'd you get it? I was just a beggar. I needed help. So the sacrifice of Jesus must be received personally by faith. Again, faith, believing God, what you say you'll do. And again, as we sat here and did that uh, memorial uh, yesterday, honoring Miss Darnell. It was so cool when Steve was talking with Dennis. He's like, you know, they didn't have a lot of church affiliation for a season of life. But about five years ago, here at the cross, sitting there, Dennis and Darnell both prayed to surrender to Christ. And I was like, that is so powerful. Five years ago, the hope that my brother has today is that his beloved wife received the free gift of salvation. She drank from the water. It's like, that's comfort. As painful as it is to let go of someone that you love, the hope that we have is that we'll dance with them and celebrate throughout eternity. Whoever will drink from the water, let him come. So we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Here would be a second observation. Salvation by grace is a free gift from God. The free gift of God. What is the free gift? It is an intimate, it is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The gift of God is his beloved son, Jesus. I'm going to give you the gift. What is the gift? I'm going to give you my son, We were headed to hell, damned. We deserved it. That's where we were headed. We deserved damnation forever. But God being kind sent his son in our place. If you ever want to know what is the gospel, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. If you ever want to know how to share the gospel with someone else, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Why? Because Christ took your place, Paul. He took my place. I was headed to destruction, and the blood of Christ was shed. What happened? This is the greatest, Blake, rags-to-riches story that you'll ever read in your life. The greatest rags-to-riches story is that the King of kings and Lord of lords, God in flesh, would trade places with Merle. 
Merle, you want to talk about a rags to riches story, brother. And that's what we got cut in on. That's what you got cut in on. How'd you get cut in on it, Kathy? By receiving Jesus Christ, it was a gift. Now, salvation is free. Don't miss this. Salvation is a free gift to us, but it is very, very, very costly. It costs Jesus his life. So we should never look at this free gift as being a cheap gift. We should look at this free gift as being the ultimate price gift that you could ever consider. What makes this gift so great? Who gives it? God gives it. That makes this gift incredibly great. What makes this gift so great? How it meets our needs. We were alienated, separated, and lost. It satisfies the deepest part of who we are. You think about this with any gift. What makes a gift great at times? Who gives it? How it meets the need. Here's the third thing. Again, what makes a gift great? And what makes this gift so great? The cost of the gift. It costs Jesus his very life. And as I've walked through this journey of 34 years of walking with Jesus, I can promise you this. You cannot force grace on people. You can live grace, but people have to be willing to receive the grace of the gospel. And in order to get there, we have to shatter our pride and our ego, and anything good about us has to die. There's nothing good that dwells within me. Nothing good. This is a, uh, just a, a very simple illustration as far as a gift. And I'm going to tie this back in at the end. But I remember when I was doing chapel ministry with the Braves back in the late 90s and throughout uh, the 2000s there. Uh, and, and, and in 2007, my friend John Smoltz, okay, John, who is in Baseball's Hall of Fame right now, uh, John became the first pitcher in Major League Baseball history to win 200 games and to save 150 games. Nobody had ever done it. Well, that game he pitched back in May of 2007, he won his 200th game. He had started as a starter. He had gone to the bullpen, became a closer, went back into starting. Well, that night he pitched and won his 200th game. He called me and he goes, Timmy, I've got something for you. I'm like, oh, that's cool. What do you got? And he goes, when we get together, I'll give it to you. The next time I hooked up with John, he handed me this. And this stays in my home office. It stays hidden. This is such a a meaningful thing to me. But it's got the MLB authentication uh, sticker on it. John signed it, 200th win. And he goes, man, I want to give you this. He said, I took about five baseballs from last night's game, and I'm giving them to the people, my family and people that have spoken to my life and mentored you and mentored me, and I want you to have it. And you know what? I keep that ball just hidden. Nobody ever sees it. I don't showcase it. But that was a gift. And when he offered it to me, all I had to do was just, just receive it. It was free. I, I couldn't work for it. it. I didn't deserve it. I mean, there was a lot of cool people in his life, but the fact that he gave me that, I was like, that right there is a cool gift. And Rick, when we start to think about the things that God has extended to us, every good thing that's going on in our life, the fact that God would bring care to you is a gift from God. The fact that God would allow you to be the dad of Ricky and Nora and now soon to be Timothy, uh, 
I've been trying to get him to name that next baby after me. I don't know if it's going to happen. But I figured I had the chance to give a good plug right there. But it's a gift. Kevin, it's a gift, brother. The fact that God would bring Amy into your life is a gift. It's a gift. The fact that he would bless you with two beautiful kids is a gift. The fact that God gives us health, it's a gift. And the free gift of salvation is God saying, hey, it's a gift. You, you can't do anything to work for it. You, you don't deserve it. But, Paul, I want you to have it. And, and I want you to appreciate it. And I want you to walk in it. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Here's the third thing. Salvation is not by human effort. It's not a result of works. We're told in Scripture, you can't, you can't work for it and you can't boast about it. I've had some people that come from a hyper-Calvinistic standpoint say, well, a faith is a work. And, and, and so you, you, you did nothing. You, you, you can't even claim that you had faith in God. That was a gift. And they claim that faith is a work. They argue that anything that you did, even faith required effort. Listen to Romans 4, 5. But to him who does not work, don't work, but believes, again, faith, trust, belief, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted to him for righteousness. How do you receive it? By faith. Can you do anything to get it? No, I can't work for it. But the fact that some people would say, well, even having faith is an effort. It's not. I have to believe. I have to receive it. I have to act on it. And he's, he's calling out to us every day, are you going to trust me today? Are you going to believe me today? Are you going to step into my goodness today? I've heard people say, man, hey, Jesus did 99%. You've got to do 1%. No. No, no that's Catholic thinking. That, that's not right. It's like 99%. No, no, 99% poison is still, or 1% poison is still poison. I can't do anything to add to what God's done. When we say Jesus plus nothing equals salvation, I can't do anything to add to it. I just have to receive the gift by faith. Does that make sense? I mean, it's an absolute gift from God. And then he says uh, in verse 10, I want to wrap with this. He says, uh, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus in two good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen to this. Here's the fourth point. Salvation by grace leads us to live life with a new purpose. We are his workmanship. Now, I want you to think about that word workmanship because the purest definition of that word or even probably what would be a better word in that text would be we are his masterpiece. Masterpiece is a stronger word based on Greek. And it really means we are his one-of-a-kind piece of art. We are his one-of-a-kind poetry to the world. That's where the word really comes from, poem. It's like, hey, look at you. Because of what God has done in your life, we now collectively, we, the body, universal church, those who have placed their faith, we are his masterpiece. Somebody else like you. Now, again, tying back in what I said before. All right? So I, I did that chapel stuff for so long, and I got so much stuff that I, I, I kept. And I want you to see this. All right, this right here is from September 28, 2002. All right? It's about 18 years ago. This is a lineup card 
of when the Atlanta Braves were playing the New York Mets, okay? And Smoltz again gave me that lineup card after the game because he recorded like a, a, a record high saves that nobody had ever done in, in the National League before, like 55, 57, whatever how many number of saves he, he had that year. I mean, that was like, bam, look at that, this right here. Tom Glavin, John Smoltz, and Bobby Cox signed this thing. Now, these are all Hall of Fame people right there, all three names on this. Smoltzy gave me this lineup card. I got a buddy named Tom Tabor, and Tabor at that time owned a company, DSI, and they did high-end uh, resolution stuff in regards to uh, their printing. They did checks for banks, posters for concerts, all this kind of stuff. But Tabor had this high-end machine, and I said, Tabor, is there any way we can take that and make some copies? John wants the original. He goes, yeah, yeah, I can make some copies for you. So he made me about 300 copies. Now, John Smoltz has the original, the masterpiece. What I hold in my hand has been mass produced. You follow me? When he says that you are a masterpiece, you're a one-of-a-kind piece of art, you are not mass produced produced. There's nothing else like you out there. This right here is a, this is a masterpiece. You can't do, I can't duplicate that. This is one of a kind. Nobody else is going to have that, but that is mass produced. And I think so many times as believers, and just hear me on this, so many times we were born and original, and God is wanting to do something unique and specific and special in you. But we buy into a mindset at times that I am to be a duplicate of somebody else. And so comparison leads us down all these twisted trails. And it, it, you go back to it, and it's like you are a one-of-a-kind piece of art. There's nobody unique like you. God has poured certain gifts, abilities, passions, uh, all this stuff inside of you, Kevin, nobody else has. But God wants to be fully alive inside of you to live out the uniqueness, this one-of-a-kind piece of art that he's never made in anybody else. That was one of the most freeing things for me. I don't have to be like anybody else. God is in the process of conforming me to be like Jesus. God wants you fully alive in Christ by grace with how he's made you. Does that make sense? You're his workmanship. You are his masterpiece. You are a one-of-a-kind piece of art. And as you walk into the world, you should carry that inside of you that no matter where you go, you walk and you go, okay, God has called me his masterpiece. That's the reason he would say, you are my trophy of grace. You're on display. I'm wanting to present to the world who I am through you. We should take that to heart. We, we should really take that to heart. And so because of what Christ has done, he's brought us together as one. He's broken down race. He's broken down this thing of male and female where guys were elevated and females were defamed in that day. He goes, no, God in Christ has broke that down. He's broken down socioeconomic barriers. He's broken down the walls of the law that separated Gentile and Jew. We'll get into that when we start getting into verse 11. 
of how uh, Abraham and the covenant people started looking down on the Gentiles, and they're like, we are the circumcision, you're the uncircumcision. And it was all this kind of hatred and animosity going on of better than And Paul is saying, in Christ we're one, in Christ we're one. And there's not one masterpiece that God has redeemed, that God is working in, that's better than the next masterpiece that God has redeemed and God is working in. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he died a martyr's death because of what was happening in Germany with Hitler and just the animosity and hatred. And he wrote, he wrote a, a document, him and Niemöller wrote this document really talking about the confessing church versus the compromising church. But Bonhoeffer some of his writings were so intriguing, he wrote contrasting cheap grace with costly grace. Listen to this right here as we talk about grace in closing. Bonhoeffer said, cheap grace is preaching forgiveness without requiring repentance. Cheap grace is offering communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Is grace without the cross. It is grace without Jesus being Lord. Cheap grace. And then he said, costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field that a man will go and sell everything that he has so that he can acquire it. It is the call to follow Jesus and you choose to drop your nets and say, I'm all in. He says, costly grace calls us to follow Jesus Christ and follow him only. Not religion, not denomination, not man, Jesus only. He goes on to say, costly grace will cost a man his life. But it is grace. It is grace because it is the only thing that will give a man true life. I really believe at this moment in history in which we're living, okay, there is a lot of turmoil going on in our world. And I believe the one thing that people are most hungry for today, they can't articulate it. They wouldn't even be able to, 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 to they, they wouldn't be able to tell you this. But I can promise you, I believe the one thing people are starving for today is grace. And I believe that if we walked in the grace of the gospel, meaning we received it, we moved to a place, Bev, where we understood it, and we really started walking in that God loves me unconditionally. He saved me by grace through faith. I can't do anything. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to keep it. it is a, God's done all this. I'm blown away that God would make me, that God would redeem me, that God would pursue me, God would love me, God would fill me with his presence. Let's just listen. Just listen. If we really got that, and we started extending that to other people. When we saw other people that screwed it up or made mistakes, instead of condemning and shaming and writing them off to go, he's trying to figure it out. I'm not going to tolerate your sin, but I'll walk with you through your mud and junk. God is calling us to extend grace to other people. And again, graceless people are some of the most exhausting people to be around. If God has extended grace to you, and you've truly become a recipient of it, I would encourage you, please, release it to your neighbor. 
because people right now are fragile and they're searching and they're looking for answers. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, we hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we wanna see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. But we pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.